Welcome to another edition of Mind of a Madman. Uh, this week, I got, you know, as normal, a couple of stories. And then uh, the topic this week is something that uh, it's definitely one of the more radical theories that we've had on here. It's something that science as a whole hasn't really acknowledged. There's small little offshoots of, of scientists that, you know, that are looking at this and considering it a possibility. But for the most part, you know, just like um, UFOs and ghosts and, and Bigfoot, this is one of those things, even more so, where scientists are like, yeah, I mean, we're not going to look at this. So, uh, start with, as always, we're going to start with our news stories. Um, our first one, we actually just talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about they found this massive crater underneath the ice of Greenland. Uh, and they thought that, you know, perhaps maybe it was... Uh, you know, another another smoking gun as to, what, as to what killed the dinosaurs off. Well, this uh, this article talks more about that and and then shows that maybe that's not the case. So the title title of the article is "Massive Meteor Crater is Not What Scientists Originally Thought." Uh, let's see, it goes here: buried under kilometers of ice, a 31 kilometer wide meteorite impact crater in Greenland has captivated scientists since its discovery in 2015. One of the largest impact craters found on Earth, researchers theorized the impact could have occurred around 13,000 years ago, a period uh, within humanity's tenure on the planet Earth and causing a thousand years of global cooling. So originally, that, that, you know, that's basically all, all this article goes on to talk about, but basically what this is, you know, the, the, you know, this crater, you know, the, you know, the original thought was what, you know, caused the other dinosaurs to become extinct. Or maybe, you know, it tied in with the Yucatan Peninsula uh, crater. And maybe, you know, it was a couple of them that, you know, a couple uh asteroid strikes that caused it. But uh, due to, you know, just, you know, recent testing and everything and, and dating on it, you know, they, they, they basically figured out that, no, it wasn't that long ago. There was only, there was only you know, a couple thousand years ago, so... Uh, it's just good that, you know, science always double, double checks itself. So, I mean, it's not a very long story. I just want to throw that in there because, you know, we had, we, we, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago. So in, in our news story, so I, I just want to put that out there. Uh, our next article is entitled scientists discover thousands of solar systems where aliens could watch earth. Scientists have identified thousands of other planetary systems where alien life would be able to see our earth. The nearby star systems are relatively close in cosmic terms and are positioned such that they would be able to watch our planet as it crosses in front of the sun. Planets around those stars would be able to see the Earth and understand whether it holds life and may already have done so. Just as we watch other stars for passing planets in front of them and use that information to understand their atmospheres and whether they are able to support alien life, extraterrestrials would be able to do the same for the Earth. From the exoplanet's point of view, we are the aliens, said Lisa Kaltzenegger, professor of astronomy and discovery of Cornell's Carl Sagan, the director of Cornell's Carl Sagan Institute in the College of Arts and Sciences. We wanted to know which stars have the right vantage point to see Earth as it blocks the sun's light, she said, and because stars move in our dynamic cosmos, this vantage point is gained and lost. In the new research, scientists identify a total of 2,034 of the star systems, all within 326 light years, 
Of those, 1,715 could have spotted Earth since human civilizations began in the last few thousand years. The rest will be able to see us in the in the 5,000 years to come. Among those, 75 are within 100 light years of us. That is close enough that the radio waves created by humans would have reached them. The stars themselves are a variety of different kinds. In keeping with the distribution of sizes and other characteristics throughout the Milky Way, some of them have already been closely studied, including those we know have their own planets, while others are almost entirely unknown. Scientists do not have enough data to know how many of those stars have rocky planets of the of that of the kind or what conditions might be like on them, but they estimate there could be 29 potentially habitable worlds that are positioned so they could uh, both see Earth in front of the sun and are close enough to have detected radio waves from us. So, you know, this what this is, is just saying is that, you know, it's uh, basically, you know, that, you know, just as you know, we're out, you know, as our astronomers are looking for other planets going around, going around stars, uh, if there is other, you know, intelligent life within 100 light years, not only could they have seen us, but, you know, our radio waves have started to reach them, so. Uh... It's just you know it's you know it's just kind of interesting because you know we never ever think about other civilizations looking at us you know like you know like civilizations that are you know you know that are comparable on a technological scale that could be out there looking you know just in our infancy in our infancy of planet hunting just as we are and be seeing us and be wondering hmm, I wonder if there's life on that planet in that solar system around that star uh, and then our last story is just kind of more of a fun story, but the home that inspired the movie The Conjuring, it sells for more than $1.5 million. So in uh, Burrowville, Rhode Island, uh, the Rhode Island farmhouse that inspired the 2013 horror movie The Conjuring has been sold to a Boston developer who plans to keep it open to the public. The 18th century home in Burrell sold for $1.525 million on Thursday, far higher than the $1.2 million asking price. The purchase is personal for me, buyer Jacqueline Nunez, owner of Wonder Group LLC, told the Boston Globe. It's not a real estate development. It's around my own beliefs. Nunez and the couple who sold the home, Corey and Jennifer Hazen, jointly announced the sale on Facebook. Nunez plans to continue the paranormal business that that the Heinz has started. Guests will be able to continue the nightly paranormal investigations. Day tours will resume, and there will be live stream events. The Heinzens, who bought the home in 2019, will remain involved. The movie wasn't filmed at the home, but was based on the experience of the family that lived there in the 1970s. Nunez said she is not afraid of the house. I don't believe the energy here is malevolent. Things will happen here and there, and, and it will startle me, but they don't harm me. She said, I look forward to, to experiencing things. So if you, you're looking to buy the, the house, you know, from you know, from The Conjuring, you just missed your chance. Uh, so with that being said, uh, now we're going to move on to uh, our story this week, our topic, which is uh, the aquatic ape theory. So, you know, we've all been taught that millions of years ago, First mammals began to evolve from creatures in the sea, developing lungs, 
and the ability to breathe air. You know, first, you know, they would come up on, you know, all, all land life started this way by, you know, aquatic life that, you know, they gradually started, you know, you know, to crawl up on, you know, go onto the beaches for short periods of time. And then eventually, you know, they develop lungs and then limbs and so on and so forth. Uh, then for whatever reason, whether it was food supply, climate change, or other environmental reasons, some mammals returned to the sea, evolving in ways to help them to live partially in the sea or, in some cases, totally. For example, wolf-like creatures evolved into what we now know as whales. Yes, believe it or not, whales came from a breed of wolf. Just 150,000... Uh, uh, years ago, a group of, of uh, brown bears evolved into polar bears due to the environment they had migrated into. We see this happen over and over again with other mammals. Otters, dolphins, and seals are just a few. The aquatic ape theory isn't too far uh, from what has been proven to have already happened. This theory... You know, now, you know, I'm sure you, you know, most people haven't heard of this. I mean, you know, until I stumbled across this, I had never heard of it either. But this theory was actually proposed in 1942 by a German pathologist. This theory proposes that for at least a brief period of human history, we went through a watery stage. As this theory goes, there was a group of primates in our evolutionary family tree. Before we could walk upright, that were living along coastal areas. So, you know, we were still walking kind of kind of like, you know, uh, a lot of monkeys do, like, you know, like kind of on all fours, kind of a hop on all fours. So as those pre-humans waited in the water searching for food, they gradually they gradually learned the ability to walk upright on two feet due due to their buoyancy, you know, and you go in the water. So basically, you know, they used, you know, so basically you know, the buoyancy of the water held their body upright enough and, you know, they, you know, they basically learned and taught themselves how to walk upright. And, you know, that's where our ability to, that's what, that's what scientists think that our ability to, you know, stand on two feet and walk upright the way we do came from. So living near the water, our uh, early ancestors would have had access to nutrients essential to building brain mass, such as fish and shellfish abundant with iodine and fatty acids. So due to due to living along you know, the ocean or seas or wherever we lived, and being that, you know, we had all you know, this abundance you know, all these abundance, you know, uh, food sources like fish and clams and mussels and you know all the you know, all the fatty acids in there and iodines is what led to our, our our giant brains, you know. That's you know they're they're scientists scientists are pretty sure that, that that's where that came from. Being that these early humans were spending a lot of time in the water, we began to evolve other traits that, to this day, set us apart from mammals. For instance, we can control and hold our breath, which is a trait mainly found in marine ma uh, mammals. Human babies will instinctively hold their breath when submerged in water and can swim. Unlike any other land mammals, humans are fairly hairless. Dolphins and whales have adapted this trait as well to reduce drag in the water. So as you can see, you know, you know, humans have a, you know, if you know, if you compare us to other mammals, you look at you know, you know the apes, which we're supposedly the closest related to. The you know, the other things like dolphins, whales, 
uh, you know, we can, you know, we, you know, we can hold our breath like dolphins and whales can. You know, um, uh, you know, apes can't. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of hair because just, you know, just like the dolphins and the whales, you know, when we were, you know, hunting for these, for this food you know, off the coast, you know, in like, you know, in like waist deep water, you know, we learned how to, you know, we would, we would swim and then, you know, and then so, you know, you know and get, you know, which is, you know, so having less hair, what we would help us be able to, you know, um, you know, overcome the other drag in the water and be able, and, uh, be able to swim faster and catch our prey like fish in the water. Um, so just like other marine animals, marine mammals, humans are born with insulating fat throughout our bodies to help us keep warm in the, when, when we're in the water. Something that, other, that, that no land mammals have. There is still a little bit of webbing between our fingers and our toes. It's not much, but it's there. Uh... Other than that, other than to help us maneuver in the water, there's really no reason for this. Um, so, you know, these are just things that are left over from when we were, you know, still wading in water and, and, you know, and capturing our food, you know, in waist deep water. So up to this point, many scientists might be willing to listen to this theory and at least debate it. The next part is where you lose 99.9% .9 of all scientists because it's too far out of the norm. So what makes this theory unacceptable to modern science? This theory goes on to suggest that we were, that early pre-humans that were partially water-dwelling faced a major catastrophe. Rather, it was an earthquake or volcanic eruption or an asteroid strike or something altogether different. Something disrupted these early humans' lives, causing them to split up. Some of them receded inland, and the rest went further into the sea, eventually evolving to live in the ocean independent of the land. Evolving alongside their land-dwelling cousins, which became modern humans. The ones that went out to sea may have lost their legs in exchange for a solo tail fin. If you haven't figured it out yet, the ones that went into the ocean became what we now know as mermaids. This is why modern science has abandoned this theory. Although no physical specimen has ever been delivered for the scientific community to examine, there are many sightings every year from all over the world. People from all walks of life claim to have seen them. As cameras and cell phones get better, so has the pictures and videos of them. They have been seen for hundreds of years and for the most part were written off as being a mantidae, which I, know would never, which I would never confuse for a mermaid and I'm sure no one else would either. This, this is just science trying to, you know, take a sighting of something that's abnormal and, you know, you know, put it in a nice, neat package and make it normal. But, you know, if if you've ever seen a sea manatee, I don't care, you know, if you're half asleep. You're not going to look at that and say, wow, they all that yellow stuff is half human, half fish. You know, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, so, although science has ruled out their existence need to look at a couple of facts. Like I said, they've been sighted for almost a thousand years. All these people were seeing something and it wasn't a mantidae. We've only explored 20% of our oceans. 80% have never been explored due to pressures down deep as well as the sheer size of the ocean. 
Um, we don't fully understand the processes that occur in the ocean, so there might be circumstances that would make mermaids' existence an inevitability. You know, so, you know, I mean, you know, so if you know, wolves can evolve into, you know, into, you know, whales and, you know, other mammals evolve in, into dolphins and the sea otters and so on and so forth. Why is it so far-fetched to think that, that humans could have evolved? The ones that, you know, stayed in the ocean could have evolved into something. No matter if the second part of this theory with mermaids seems too far-fetched, the first half of humans evolving along the coastal areas would explain much of human development. Like I said, you know, that ties back to our brain development, to our ability to walk upright, to why we can hold our breath, to why, you know. So, you know, this is one of those theories that, you know, it's, I mean, that's, 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 you're right there pretty much, you have to meet potatoes of it. There's not a lot to it, because there's not a lot of science, you know, there's, there's not a lot of research. I mean, I dug, to get that little bit, I dug so far, and it, it it's crazy how if scientists deem something, you know, unreasonable or, or outside of the, the, you know, outside of, outside of the normal, you know, it just gets buried, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, you know, you never get taught about, yeah, the aquatic ape theory in school, even though it was proposed back in 1942, you know, they, they should at least mention it as a possibility, but, but, you know, they won't. So, so with that being said, uh, let's look at, um, our question of the week from last week. So last week, basically, Last week, I basically asked you, um, do you think that part or the first part of the question was, do you think that the price of fuel, gasoline, gasoline, diesel, fuel, so on and so forth, do you think that that's majorly impacting American lives in any way, you know, in which ways you think? And then B, what steps do you think can be taken to ratify that and bring the price down so it's back to a normal price again? Um... I got a huge flood of influx of people, you know, with with this one, and uh, it's 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 no surprise. Uh, yeah, everybody unanimously said, yeah, it's it's impacting us, and of course it's impacting us. You know, from everything from just the right, you know, the prices of gas. You you, see you can go to work, you know, you know, go see your relatives, go to the doctor, go to the store. Let alone maybe go on some kind of a recreational like a vacation or something. Uh, yeah, it's affecting the price of goods and services. I mean, groceries have doubled in price. Um, you know, services for everything is everything has gone up dramatically, and it's all centered around fuel because the more fuel costs, the more it costs to get things from point A to B. So, what what do I think? Um, what do I think would get the price down? Unfortunately, it's one of those the way our our fuel, the way our gasoline system works and our petroleum system works in this country, there's nothing you can do right now that's going to, you know, there's nothing that I can do right now that's going to bring the prices down within a week. It takes time to trickle down through the supply. Um, so what do I think can be done? Well, uh, if you remember about five, six years ago, when uh, oil production or when 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 uh, petroleum being um you know when oil fields in in, uh, in in north america were all up and running the price of oil was so so low because you know we you know we could we can afford to operate and get less money because you know we don't have to ship the oil so far so you know back when your know, big oil was booming in north america 
it was it was insane, you know how you know, how low the price of oil came. But then OPEC didn't like that because it was cutting into their profits and cutting in, into how much they were selling because now all this American oil was, was flooding the market. So OPEC went and they dropped the price of oil to a ridiculously low level. You know, they flooded the market with so much oil that it put a lot of these companies out of business. Uh, to get the price of oil back, number one, the government really needs to go help help the, 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 the companies that are still in existence that that were uh, pumping oil in North America. They need to help them get back on their feet financially. You know, support them, help them. To, you know, you, you know, to get their oil fields back up and running. Uh, because as we've seen, you know, when you have a lot of North American oil going into the system, the price drops. Um, we should be restricting how much oil we're actually getting from the Middle East, because as because as long as it's a totally open market, OPEC's just going to keep doing this. You know, as soon as you know the North American, you know, oil fields get themselves up and running and you know, and, you know, in full force and the price starts coming down, OPEC's just going to overproduce, uh, flood the market, and bring the price down to the point that it puts them out of business. So number one, we you know, so we need to get the, we need to get our oil get our North American oil fields back up and running. Financially, however, government can help them. Maybe you know uh, the U.S. Uh, the um, what am I thinking of? Army uh, Corps engineers. You get them to help. Whatever, whatever it takes to get you know North American oil flowing again, and restricted how much oil from from outside the U.S. is allowed to come in. Um, and then from there, it's just you know, you know that would definitely help in the next six months. Um, government could put a price freeze on gas, you know, they, you know, they could step in and say, look, you know, this is all you can charge. I mean, what's crazy is that if you look at the price of raw gas to, uh, totally refined gas, whatever the price of raw gas does, gasoline does, the price of, you know, what we use, refined gas, which what you get the pump. It always follows it. So if, if raw gas goes up, you know, so does refined gas. So if you know, raw gas goes down, so does so that's always it's always been the trend because you know that's how you know their, their profits flow. Well, all of a sudden now, ever since the Biden administration took over, and you know, and you know, and, you know, and these big oil companies know that you know Biden's not going to go after them. You have, um, you have. Um, that's my train of thought. Uh, oh, the price of raw gas has been coming down. It has been for a year, but the price of finished gas or refined gas is going up, which means that these oil companies are just making them for all the profits that they lost during the Trump administration because he put a lot more restrictions on them. So, you know, it's definitely price gouging. Steps need to be taken to ratify this. In the short term, and then, like I said, you get the North American oil fields up and running again and protect them. That's 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 for the long term. Also, though, other things that we can be doing <clears throat> to help the situation, you know, just simple things like you know, go out to your car right now, make sure your tires are properly inflated, make sure you don't have any junk in your back seat of your car, or you know, you don't have any, you know, any extra weight in your car, even even ten pounds. Um, you know, <clears throat> get your car tuned up. You just simple as 
oil change and, you know, and change your spark plugs and air filter. Air filter is a big one. Those, those couple things right there can save you a couple bucks plus help. Because the less we use, the less gas we use, the more the price is going to come down. Um, you know, maybe you stop at the grocery store every single day on your way home. If it's on the way home from work, right, no harm, no foul. But if, even if you have to go like two or three miles out of your way to go to the grocery store, just go once or twice a week, you know, buy a couple days worth of groceries at once. Don't buy them every day. You know, or say you run, you know, say you run to, you know, to Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's and, you know, and you, you know, and you, you know, you know, for your breakfast, for your lunch, for whatever, <clears throat> you know, Burger King, wherever you go, you know, and, and if you go through drive through Think about it. You, know, you sit in a drive through for 10 or 15 minutes. Everybody in that line does that. Think about how much fuel is being consumed just sitting there and idle. You know, park your car and go inside. You, you know, it's not going to – you're not going to see a big difference in your gas consumption. But you think about it. Say there's say there's 2 million cars that go through a drive through in the United States daily. 2 million cars. And say that's, that that's, you know, 10 minutes – Per car. Think about how much fuel is being consumed just by people sitting idle in a drive-through. Something that simple. Um, you know, if you don't have to go somewhere, don't go. You know, it's that simple. I mean, you know, you know, if you like, you know, say every year, right, you know, you go to the beach, you go to a wherever every year, and this year, like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to be strapped to do it, but I'm going to do it. There's nothing here wrong with taking a year. And just staying home for that vacation, you know, you know, you know, hang out in your backyard, you know, or, or stay closer. I mean, my gosh, I mean, I know like in my state here in Pennsylvania, there's so much you can do. There's, 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 there's so many state parks and, uh, all kinds of attractions that are within, you know, a, a 15 minute drive of my house. So like, you know, my family, you know, we, you know, we, you know, accustom, you know, you know, you know, we're accustomed to visiting family in Pittsburgh every year. We're not going to make that trip this year, you know, just because, you know, you know of the price of gas. Uh, I mean, I financially could do it, but it just doesn't make sense, you know. I have a daughter who lives in Wyoming. And last year, you know, we drove out and saw her. I'd love to do that right now. But with the price of fuel, once again, it's just it's just not, it doesn't make sense, you know. So, you know, we all have to make sacrifices right now in, in the short term, but it will benefit in the long term. So that's my, you know, my tenants on the soapbox. So, uh, so I guess for all right. So let's look at what we're going to ask for next week. Uh, if you haven't, so for next week's question, all right. If you haven't seen in the in the news lately, uh, the Kepler telescope is now pretty much up 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 and running. If it's not fully functional yet, it will be in the coming days. Uh, and there's surely going to be humongous discoveries made by this telescope. I mean, it's this. This telescope is supposed to make the images taken by Hubble look like look like a kid's you know refrigerator drawing. You know, it's supposed to be so much better and more detailed than than Hubble was. And and, and, and I mean, you know, Hubble provided us with some amazing imagery. So if if it's going to be so much better, imagine what what the James Webb Telescope is, is going to provide for us. So, uh, what do you think the first thing that the James Webb is going to show us? Um, you know, is it going to be a distant planet? Is it going to be a better view of a black hole? 
something around, you know, what do you think the, the first major discovery for, with the Jim, James Webb is going to be? So, uh, you know, let me know, you know, go on the website, or on the website, I'm sorry, I don't have a website. Go on Facebook, uh, which, you know, the links are in, in, in the description for this uh, podcast. You can also email us at uh, moampodcast21 at gmail.com. Once again, that's M-O-A-M podcast21 at gmail.com. And start next week, I promise. It's fully ready to go. Start next week. Next week, we will have a phone number, so you can actually text us your, you know, text us what you want to see. You know, you can, you can basically text us, you know, uh, your answer, too, to the, you, know, you know, the question. So, starting next week, I'll be handing that number out to you guys. So, uh, you know, let me know, let me, let me know what you guys think, and until next week, stay safe.